Good morning, church. How are you all? Thank you, James. It is so nice because it is much cooler in here on today. And so as you all can see, I got a lot of devices with me. And that is because I thought my main device was charging. And uh, yeah, it wasn't. And so here we are. And so I am grateful to be with you all this morning. I am excited for what uh, the Lord has to say to us. Um, but before I get into the message, thank you. Doesn't the worship team just do a phenomenal job of leading us in every week? Turn up my brightness a little bit. So, uh, just very quickly before I get into the message, I wanted to just, uh, one, reintroduce myself and take care of a few housekeeping things real quick. Is it all right if I do that? Great. Uh, that was more of a statement than a question, uh, but it just felt polite to say, is it all right if I do that? <laughs> and so um, I want to reintroduce myself again uh, to this congregation and to those who may be new. Uh, I feel like I need to do that just for a little bit longer as you all get to know me and vice versa. So I am Pastor Nicole Bullock. Uh, came, I'm from Chicago, but uh, my family and I came back uh, to be here as you all's interim pastor and new community. And so here's a couple of things that's interesting about being an interim pastor. Some people know uh, what that looks like, some people don't, but an interim pastor is a pastor that comes in and uh, pastors uh, the church while the church uh, continues its search for a called permanent pastor. And so some of you all know uh, the information, some of you all don't, but what's you unique about my job as an interim pastor, because there are levels to this thing, okay? Uh, what's unique about my job as an interim pastor is I am specifically the type of interim pastor that I am is called a transitional pastor. That means this, uh, that when a church has gone through a major transition, uh, like New Community has, where uh, uh, the pastor was in here and then you all had a year where uh, you had some strong leadership, uh, but you still were in search of a, a transitional pastor, or a senior pastor rather. And so here we are where you now have an interim pastor. That's me, everybody. But again, and that level is transitional, Pastor, meaning I am here to help you all navigate the space of transition, of trauma, of disappointment, of grief, and all of those kind of things so we can kind of come back together as one body. Does that make sense? And so, thank you for the couple of hand claps. Uh, <laughs> there. And so one of the things that happens is sometimes people don't quite understand uh, the, the pivot and what this new kind of place looks like for us. And I get it. You know, I'm new here too. So some people are like, you know, you're nice. Other people are like, I don't know, you're kind of sus. And so, you know, it, it can kind of range the spectrum and I get it because that's where we are. But uh, something happened this past week that I wanted to address because it went out to a few of 
of you all in the congregation. And so since I'm still getting to know people, I thought it would be appropriate to address it here. So this past week I got um, an email um, inquiring about a certain uh, staff member, and they were like, hey, this decision was made, uh, and I want to know more information about it. I said, okay, no problem, because I feel like I'm a reasonable person, amen. Um, and so I replied back, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the person who emailed me was not quite satisfied. I, I don't know why. We still have to have that dialogue, but I'm addressing it here because a few of you all may have gotten a, an email informing you of this decision that I made with this particular staff person. And from there, it just kind of got, you know, a little confusing, if that, if that makes sense. And so one of the things my job here to do as a transitional pastor is for all intents and purposes, for this season, I am your senior pastor. One of the things, according to your bylaws and your constitution here at New Community, um, according to Article 5.1a, I don't know if it's that, but it's in there if you look it up is that I get to, uh, according to my, my discernment, which you all trust because you voted me in, I get to make staff changes accordingly, if that makes sense. And so uh, what, what ended up happening is this person did not agree with my decision. And I understand some people are still like, well, I don't know if she made it or if the board made it, if the leadership team made this decision. You know, she's maybe a scapegoat is the language I've kind of heard a little bit. But can I tell you all something? As a 40-something-year-old black woman who is called, credentialed, <laughs> degreed up, <laughs> and uh, grown up, uh, I am not a scapegoat. I am a person that is well aware of how to navigate decisions. I've been doing ministry since a very long time, 20 plus years. I seen your pastor to church before. This is not my first rodeo, praise God. And so uh, what I'm asking for uh, from you all as a church, thank you, <laughs> is that as I move forward uh, and do my best to be faithful to this pastoral office in this interim season and try to move us forward towards healing and growth as a church, my expectation, which I believe is a reasonable one, is to be given space to allow there to be margin for fruit, if that makes sense. Even if my decisions offend you um, or you disagree with them, uh, if, if there is no misconduct on my part that you can bring in which I am uh, hurting the church or hurting someone, and even if it is, you know, there is a board in which you can go to to call me into accountability if those sorts of things are happening. But I would ask to be given the space to do that. And I, and I get it, this, this is a unique situation, and some of y'all are like, what in the heck did I walk into, right? Um, uh, but that's okay. This, you know, when you're home, you got to take care of home stuff uh, sort of situation. But uh, one of the things we say when we get up and do announcements is that we are a city within a city, an alternate Chicago. 
And to be an alternate Chicago, that means we are a place where we seek uh, not only God, but we seek to be a community that is reconciled, that it loves one another, that honors one another. And I get it, um, this space that I'm in, and I'm not just talking about new community, I'm talking about the office of a pastor. You usually see it dominated by men, specifically white men. And so sometimes it may offend the senses to see a black woman in this space, and you don't quite know how to navigate that. But that's okay, uh, because we are a city within a city, an alternate Chicago. So as if we do see uh, something where someone is like, well, I'm not sure about this with Pastor Nicole, let's encourage them to not talk about, but talk with me. Yeah? Is that all right? And I get it. I'm probably going to get an email or two, or the leadership team will, and that's okay. Because guess what? We can, we can have a dialogue. I'm all right with that. And so, um, one of the things, you know, and this is not an easy thing to kind of discuss, and I kept thinking, how can I finesse this? You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, how, how can I do this? How can I uh, say it in a way, you know, Bruno Mars and Cardi B it? You know what I'm saying? Put a little finesse on it. And uh, this is the best finesse I could get. But before I pivot out of this, you know, uh, my, my husband and I, Dr. Jeff, uh, he's getting his doctorate from USC in a couple of months. And I'm claiming that doctorate as my own because we've been through it together. So come December, I will be referring to myself as Reverend Doctor, <laughs> FYI. Um, we went to see the movie Top Gun yesterday. Anybody seen that, the new one with Tom Cruise where he's 60-some years old and in amazing shape? And I'm like, I got to get myself together. Um, but we went to see it. I have not seen the first Top Gun, in which I was shamed for, but I won't say by whom. Uh, but we went to see it, and uh, due to the churchy person that I am, we're in the movies, and I don't know uh, how many churchy people I got in the room, but as, you know, the good guys are winning, I'm literally in the movie theater like, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And Jeff was looking at me like, okay. <laughs> this is why we don't bring safe people to the movies. Um, but uh, in that, though, too, there were three themes that I kind of picked out uh, from that movie that I thought were even relevant for us today as we kind of have, as you know, I made that little announcement. And the three T's came to me after watching this movie, and the three T's are this, target, timing, and team. As we move forward in this transition as a church, let's remember what our target is. Our target is to get to a place where we are whole, where we are reaching out, where we are living out our mission statement. Our target is not one another, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Our target is not one another. Uh, timing. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes talks about there's a time for everything. And it's a balance. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot. Our job as a church and as a community, and even as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to help one another discern what time is it, right? And so that's one, another thing to think about. And then lastly, team. We are a team. 
Whenever my husband and I, we bump heads and we are not seeing eye to eye, um, and one of us is more stubborn about apologizing than the other, I won't say who. <laughs> um, he looks at me and he says, we're on the same team. And it kind of brings us back to a place where we are in alignment. And what I want to say to everybody in the space today, we are on the same team. As the Hezekiah yeah, Walker song says, I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. And so as we move forward, you know, there's a quote too by a guy named William Bridges. He says, it's not the changes that do us in, it's the transitions. Because often in those transitions, we are unclear and we are unsure and we are anxious. And sometimes we do things that are dismissive and inappropriate and um, not honoring to one another, even with the best of intentions behind it. And so I would just ask that we would walk together and remember our target, uh, remember to discern what time is it, and then also to remember we're on the same team. So lastly, um, we will send a follow-up email just kind of about this, concerning this and where we are, um, and we'll set up a nice Q&A just to keep everybody in the loop and so we can talk. And so we are able to dialogue, to talk with and not talk about. Does that sound good? Amen. Now let's go ahead and get into the message. <laughs> go with me to the book of Colossians, if you will. And I'm going to be in chapter 1, and I'm going to read our text, and I'm going to pray, and I think I got everything, too. And just, F, just a little side note, there will be leadership team members. Leadership team members, if, you, if any are in this room right now, would you just raise your hand in the air, wave it like you just don't care? Great. So they'll be around, too, if you just kind of want to stop and talk and mention some things, okay? So... Just there you have that too. So Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 24. It says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance for sharing His glory. Verse 28, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much that you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. We thank you, God, for the gift of this gathering and ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you come in this place? Would you change us? Well, you are already here in this place. Would you continue to saturate this place? And would you change us, challenge us, draw us into deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And we all say, amen. And so, uh, as we've been in this series, Disillusion, last week I talked a little bit about suffering. And, uh, well, I talked uh, a lot about little things, but one of the things that emerged was suffering. And I talked about this idea of how suffering brings us closer to God, how suffering, if you will, matures us in some ways. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in a few minutes. But Paul says, he says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, you know, I put away childish, childish things. Um, for all intents and purposes, as Paul talks about this text here in Colossians, I believe it is an invitation for us to continue to grow in Christ. Um, all of us here at some point were children, right? Or we have children. And one of the things, if you are a parent or wherever parented, right, uh, the hope is for children is that they will grow up that they would grow up, that they would mature, that they would learn how to navigate the world in a way in which they display, if you are a believer, the love of Christ, which they can move forward in a way that is positive, in a way that they can just contribute to the world, in a way that brings joy, that brings happiness, that brings wholeness, right? We don't always want, you know, the kids that are fighting and arguing. So, for instance, when I was younger, it's six of us, okay? That's a lot of kids. I don't know why my mother did that. You can ask her later, she's here, but it was six of us. And we got into it all the time. As a matter of fact, my youngest sister, who's also here, I know she's like, great, I didn't even know you were gonna be telling a story. I'm not gonna even look in her direction. We even got into a fight one time. I don't know if you remember this, but we were fighting, and it, and it was over something dumb, you know? Uh, I wanted to answer the door. I didn't want her to get the door. I don't know. And so, you know, I'm fighting, and I, like I jump over and I push her head, you know, so I could get to the door, okay? How old was I? I don't even know. But she bumped her head on the corner of the table, and it was a small hole, but it began to bleed profusely, right? And I was like, oh, who did that? <laughs> Who's going to tell mom? And so, you, you know, I think about that, and I'm sure my mother, when she walked into situations like that, because that was just one of many great uh, throwdowns that we had at our house, but I'm sure when she walked into those moments, she wished and she hoped that things wouldn't always be like this. That they would grow up one day, they wouldn't push, they wouldn't fight, they wouldn't shove, but they would grow up and that they would mature, right? Uh, and, and I think that's the hope that all of our parents have for us as adults, and if we are parents to children, that is the hope that we have 
for them too. And I'm not just talking about in the sense of behaving a certain way. I mean, just even having a confidence, right? Uh, we, we want our children to grow up where they uh, uh, have uh, uh, a sense of the world, where they understand things, where they are not naive, but they are aware, where they are not easily frustrated or frightened, where they can go ahead and engage the world in a way that is, uh, says that I am here and I am confident and I know who God has called me to be. They wouldn't be, as Ephesians 4.14 says, always immature. They wouldn't be always naive. They wouldn't always be climbing over each other to get the door and hurting the other person in the way, but also what Paul is talking about when he talks about maturity, again, he's not just talking about behavior per se, he's also saying, I want them to mature so they won't be influenced by people who only mean to deceive them and trick them and scam them. You know, I saw something really interesting the other day when I was uh, hanging out with my mother. We were doing some things and uh, her phone rang and then the caller ID said, likely a scammer. And I was like, what did I do that at? Like, I didn't know that that could come up. Does that come up on anybody else's call already? It does. Mine does not do that. I need to know who your carriers are. Um, but mine doesn't do that. And then I thought, how nice would that be if we had that in life? That when the enemy presented something or someone to us, that there was a big sign over its head that said, likely a scam. For all my young adults and singles out here who are dating, <laughs> and trying to mate, <laughs> trying to find a boo, a bae. I don't know what you young people call it, what they call it. They call it a, I don't know what that means. But wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice while you out here searching for the fish in the sea? That little sign came up over their head, even though they look good and they smell good, nephew. A sign came up over their head that said, likely a scam. <laughs> How much more efficient would we be in life if we had that sort of discernment? Paul says you can have it by way of maturity. And he said this is how that maturity comes. He said that we would grow up in every way and become more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. Christ. This is Paul's hope for the Colossian church, that they wouldn't be led away by false doctrine. They wouldn't be led away and swayed by things that would get them off track and deceive them, things that were likely a scam. Paul says, my hope for you is that you would mature, become more like Jesus. But not only would they understand Jesus, they would know what it was like to live in two the work of Jesus Christ. Paul tells them, he says, listen, it's not enough just to say we want to be good to one another. We have to be like Jesus. We have to do more than just say it and, and hope it. We, we got to really, really talk, the, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. 
And hear this, uh, there's no condemnation, right? There's no shame. Paul isn't having this dialogue with them to shame them or make them feel guilty in any way. He's, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to highlight what has happened or what you're not doing right or how you may be shoving your sister to the side to get to the door or something like that. He goes, no, what I'm going to focus on instead is the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ Jesus. I'm going to remind you of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And in the verses we just read, Paul says, I'm qualified to talk about this. And he goes on to use his life as an example. And here's what he says in verses 24 and 25. He said, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. Now this is interesting within the context of talking about maturity, right? He goes, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Verse 25, God has given me the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming his entire message to you. See, sometimes when we come into the church, we just want the good parts of the gospel. We do. The feel-good parts of the gospel. Paul says, no, in order to grow up, I got to preach the entire gospel. I got to talk about the entire thing, and part of that is suffering. Isn't it interesting that Paul's first point of reference when it comes to this idea of spiritual maturity the first thing that comes to reference is, how well does one handle suffering? Ah. How well does one handle suffering? Raise your hand in here before if you have ever been in a place where you have suffered. Just quick, up and down, because I know you don't want to, you know, people to know. Yeah, that was every hand in the room, right? Paul says, what ends up happening is, how you handle suffering says something about who you are. Paul says, listen, our view on suffering is this. It is not something that we ought to be avoiding and running from. Paul says, rather, it ought to be embraced. Paul says, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Literally what he's saying is, I am filling up what is lacking in my walking, in my maturity in life with the suffering that I have to go through. Ah. See, that maturity doesn't come when you get more blessing. That grace doesn't come when, it, when your bank account is added to or when you got the degrees or more clothes or whatever the case may be. Paul says the real blessing, the real growing up, the real walking with and talking with Jesus, walk with me, Lord, talk with me, Lord, be with me, Lord, that comes in suffering. Why do you think the black church does so well focusing on the Spirit of God, the suffering? Yeah. 
that they had to handle and navigate. It's the gospel. Paul says to us too, it's the gospel. And here's the thing, Paul isn't saying put yourself in a situation where you need to suffer more. He's saying think about the suffering that Christ endured. Think about the fire that he walked through, that he didn't have to. We see in Hebrews where we see the reflection of what Jesus is going through as he's going to the cross, and the Bible says that he despised the shame. But uh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured, he suffered. The joy that was before him in the suffering, that just doesn't seem right. God, if we are followers of you, we ought to always have good things. But Jesus even tells his disciples, in this life, you will have a pandemic. It doesn't say that it says in this life you will have trouble. And we've been having pandemic trouble <laughs> since 2020, right? All of us have been brought together by that suffering, yeah. Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble, there will be suffering. But then Paul says, here's your opportunity to fully know and to fully make known the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul, in my suffering, Paul, in my pandemic, let me tell you, that is my opportunity to fully know and make known the good news of Christ. Paul says, yes, it is, because we begin to show that our lives are not dictated by our circumstances, but rather by the character and promises of our God. First Peter 4, 1 and 2 says it this way. It says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds good. <laughs> I want to wake up in the morning and be anxious to do the will of God. But then with that, he goes, are you ready to suffer? And here's what I want to say to us, because suffering is an uncomfortable topic. I remember I was talking to someone who had just lost a loved one due to COVID, and they were not a regular churchgoer or attender. And they had started visiting a couple of church churches in the wake of this loss, you know, to get closer to God, to get some clarity and get some answers. And they came to me and they said, you know, I went to all these different churches, but it was hard for me to sit there. It was hard for me to listen because nobody talked about suffering. 
And every place I went, I was suffering, but nobody really addressed it. Nobody told me what to do with it. And I thought, how interesting is that? And I know the church in America, we tend to focus on, you know, bigger and better. But then there are times where we have to pause and look at the whole gospel. And remember that we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes because God has a purpose in our suffering. By suffering in fellowship with Christ, we can be confident that we too will share in His glory. Paul says, for I consider the sufferings of this moment to be light, to be insignificant, nothing compared to the glory, ah, the weight, ah, that I will see the good things that will come. Can I tell you something in the midst of your suffering, whether you're like my friend who lost a loved one, whether you're in a place where you are battling something physically, whether you are in a place where you are battling something emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Remember that God has not given up on you. So don't you give up on God. You're here today because He has not given up on you. Don't give up. On God. God is still sovereign. He is still faithful. He is still sufficient because He wants to bring us out and show us His glory, not just for us, but for those around us. That when they see us growing, when they see us maturing, when they see that we are living for Christ in ways that we had not before, when they see us being other-oriented, when they see us serving, when they see us leading and loving and grace and truth, it will be a reminder that the gospel is likely not a scam, but it is the truth. And when we commit to represent His truth, when we commit to teach, when we commit to love, when we commit to warm, when we commit to share the gospel, we also commit to the entire gospel, which is also coming to fully know and be known by Him in the work of suffering. Christ has come to rescue, reestablish, redeem, and release us from anything that holds us back, from anything that keeps us from, he, from Him. And one of the ways He does that is by suffering. So I want to tell you this morning that no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what the suffering is, and I imagine that there is great suffering, that for some of us this morning, it took everything we had to get out the door and get in this space. For some of us, we may be grieving something heavy going on in our lives, but we got here.
because we're determined not to give up on God. Can I tell you what's happening every time you keep moving forward in the midst of your suffering? You are fully being known and fully coming to know Jesus. And that's why you can keep on keeping on. I know people may have told you, ah, you're not spiritual enough, you're not deep enough, you don't have all the right answers, you don't know enough about Scripture, you don't know enough about the Bible. No, no, no. Listen, I got up this morning. <laughs> I, I, I stepped out of the door. I, I overcame that temptation last night, and I didn't dial that number. I didn't go to that place. I didn't pick up that drink. No, no, no. Don't tell me I don't know enough verses. I know the God that is in me that kept me from doing the very thing that I knew I shouldn't do, that kept me when I thought I was going to lose my mind and lose my life. I'm talking about that God. I may not know all the Bible verses from Genesis to Revelation, but I know I serve a God that got me up <laughs> when I didn't want to get up, that kept me when I didn't want to be kept, that protected me when the enemy tried to take me out, that put a hedge around me so that I would not fall and fail. My suffering has not been in vain, but it has brought me to this very moment. And I want to tell you, what you've gone through has not been in vain, but rather it has brought you to this very moment. Jesus had predicted to his disciples. He told them what was to come. And as he was telling them what was to come, with his suffering, he invited them to a table. And at that table, he was preparing them for the suffering that was to come. Not only his, but theirs as well. Communion is one of the sacraments that we have where we are reminded that it is in that suffering that we are fully known by Him. He sees us. Every secret and thing is exposed before Him. And even in that, He loves us. Not only are we fully known by Him, but there is an invitation to fully know Him. This morning we are going to have communion. And as you come to the table today, and as you think about Christ, as his body 
was broken for us and his blood shed for us. The suffering he endured for the joy set before him. I want you to realize that in your brokenness, that in your places of suffering, there is greater to come. I want to read this text to you about the Lord's Supper. According to Luke, when the Lord was at the table with his disciples, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And the Bible says that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. May it be the case that your suffering is not something that you escape today, but rather step into the blessing of it. The Bible says that he blessed, broke, and gave. This message is for us as we stand in places of suffering that we might receive all that he has for us to receive. The Bible says that when Jesus did this at the Last Supper, it says their eyes were open and they recognized. May it be that as we come to this table today, that through our suffering, through our shame, through our seasons of disorientation and transition, that we would recognize him. Through our seasons of highs and lows of joys and pain, that we would recognize him. So come to this sacred table today, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for his spirit. This morning, I want to invite you to the table. And the way we do it here is you could come at your own pace and simply come and grab the cup and the wafer. 
And James, would you do me a favor? Would you pass me the bread and the cup? I was going to try that, but I said, let me not. Thank you. Thank you, James. That as you come this morning and you grab one of these cups, I want you to remember that the wafer represents the body of Christ. Similar to this loaf of bread, the bread that Jesus gave his disciples where he broke it. And said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take, eat, and remember. They had a cup, and it was filled with wine. The cups you will grab today have juice. And he says, take the cup, drink of it. Remember the blood that was shed for you. So this morning, I invite you to come to the table, grab the cup, grab the contents that go with it. Take it as you get to your seat and remember that this was the body broken for you and the blood shed. Pray with me and then I'm going to invite you to come. Father, we thank you so much. for the gift you have given us in your son. We thank you so much for the presentation today of not just the partial gospel, but the whole gospel. A gospel that includes suffering, but suffering is not the end. It is the beginning. It is the journey to a greater place of sustenance and joy. So God, as we take this wafer, as we drink this juice, may our eyes like the disciples be opened. That as we peel back that cellophane layer to grab that wafer, may we remember that we are strong because of you. That it is because of you that even in places of weaknesses, your strength is perfected in us. So as we take that wafer, may we take your strength, take your strength. As we drink this juice, may we be reminded of your great sacrifice in your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, come to the table. <laughs>